Do Good Charlotte is a member of the Queen City Podcast Network, powered by Ortho Carolina. Find out more at queencitypodcastnetwork.com. There's good all around us. Let's hear about it. Welcome to Do Good Charlotte on the Queen City Podcast Network, powered by Ortho Carolina. I'm Pamela Escobar. In each Do Good Charlotte podcast, you will find out who's helping, who could use a helping hand, and just how you can spread around your own good. In this episode of Do Good Charlotte, we're going to meet the president and co-founder of the Power Guide Foundation, and we'll inspire you to do good Charlotte by the various ways you can get involved with Power Guide. Shannon Houlihan and Gray Riley, welcome to Do Good Charlotte. Thank you for having us. We're excited that you're here. So can you first share, Shannon, uh, what was your inspiration for your nonprofit? Well, um, I'm from Houston, and I moved here a few years ago, and I'm a triathlete. And triathlons, you swim, bike, and run, and you do all of those things um, all at once in one event. Um, But also you compete separately, like in running events, 5Ks, half marathons, marathons, and Um, When I got here to Charlotte, I just, I wanted to get involved with triathlon here in town. So what made you think about access issues for other people? Because from what I can tell, you don't have access issues. Right. So um, when I was in Houston's training um, for triathlon things, I was loosely affiliated with some folks who were visually impaired. Um, Some of them were mobility impaired and some of them were deaf blind. And so just kind of through um, watching them train and the things that they were going through um, just kind of, you know, inspired me to come looking for a group that was doing something similar here when I got here to Charlotte. And when I went looking for that group, I couldn't find one. Um, So that's kind of what led me. That's kind of the short story of what led me to to forming Paraguide um, back in 2017. Okay, so it hasn't been around too long. No, no, just a few years, but, um, you know, the years have gone by quickly, and now we have 40 local athletes that we support, and then we also support um, 20 other athletes that live in other markets across the country. Wow. So 40 people that you're helping right now, and um, Gray Riley, you're one of those pair of guides that helps these 40 athletes. So tell me about you. How did you get involved? How did you find Shannon? How did you find Paraguide? So it was, I'd say the fall of 17. Um, I was actually uh, coming off of an injury, stress fracture, and trying to find a way to, to give back. I run. Um, wanted to find some way to use the gift I'd been given of, of running to, to serve others, help others, give back. And truth be told, I don't know if it was a random Stroke of luck, what? Web search, something. Stumbled upon uh, Paraguide and reached out via the website and just said, hey, look, I'm, I'm a runner. It's looking forward to looking for options, ways to give back, get involved in the community outside of just running for myself. Is that what you do? Is there any, any need there, any, any possibility or opportunity? Which uh, started a conversation between Shannon and Paul and myself and kind of went from there. So I did notice that you guys do offer training. Because even if you are a runner, you don't necessarily know how to be a paraguide, right? Correct. So was that hard? Uh, it, it was. I wouldn't say hard. Um, scary. It was very scary. <laughs> uh, it's taken some time. So the first step was actually going to a guide clinic. Um, showed up, I guess it was early 2018, maybe. 
and showed up with Shannon. Paul was there, the co-founder, her uh, partner in crime. Handful of other folks who were already involved with Paraguide and uh, some other newbies just like myself. And so they walked us through basic commands. You know, there's so much of what goes into guiding runners or verbal cues. You are the, the non-sighted athlete's eyes. You're their eyesight. So we walked through a lot of the basic commands. Where it got real was when they blindfolded us and said, okay, you take this into the tether. We're going to blindfold you, and I'm going to walk you around. And you realize right then how much trust goes into the guide as all of a sudden you've had your vision taken away, your eyesight, everything's gone black in front of you, and you're trusting this person who, honestly, I've just met who's holding the other end of a rope to get me upstairs, across curbs, through a parking lot, and then we decided to go for a light jog at the same time. So it was, uh, yeah, it was a little, I'd say terrifying at times <laughs> um, the first time they did that. But uh, it was good. You kind of get a, a small glimpse. You know, I don't, uh, you know, I don't claim to think that's a, any kind of picture into a, a visually impaired blind athlete's world or life. But for those 20, 30 minutes, I had no sight. And so you realize, again, how much trust is in the hands of your guide and uh, what that looks like, again, the, how imperative those verbal cues are as, as you're out with them. How important is that training for all of your guides? I think it's critical, and um, it's kind of it's my job. One of my, my many jobs is to make sure that whenever I pair an athlete, a visually impaired athlete, with a guide, that the guide has been given all the opportunities to have all the tools at hand you know, to keep everybody safe because they are the eyes for the visually impaired athlete. And if you can just imagine what it would be like to run on a greenway with your eyes closed and not, not knowing what might be coming at you, not knowing if there's somebody on a bicycle or there's a child that might run out in front or there's a tree branch or, or you know, a part where there's a pothole that you might step into. I think it's critical, the training piece of it. And it's funny, when you, when you start guiding for someone, um, getting your mouth to move as fast as the things that are running through your head. If you, if you know what you think about when you're navigating something like, oh, okay, I need to lift my feet up here, making your mouth say that as you're running is kind of an acquired skill, just like anything else. Practice makes perfect, and the more you do it, the more natural it becomes over time. So to answer your question, training, I think, is very important. Um, and the more you do it, you know, you become better and better at it. The only thing I can think of that's similar is interpreting. If you're interpreting a foreign language, it's the same concept. You need to be listening and speaking at the same time, which sounds almost impossible, but you're doing the same thing. You're processing and speaking and trying to do it as quickly as possible so that they have what they need. Right. And then at the same time, you're also running. Um, so you're, you're, you're thinking about your own, you know, your own needs, like, you know, am I breathing and am I, um, you know, in control of my body and my feet? And then keeping the other person safe as well and keeping them close so that they don't, you know, kind of step off the path or step into a hole or get hit in the forehead with something. You know, Gray is, is much taller than I am. And the, the day he's talking about where I taught him to guide, um, you know, I'm guiding him around and he's a big, strong guy. And all of a sudden he is clinging to me because he has a blindfold on. And, you know, here I am, I'm 5'2", and I have to think about what might hit Gray in the head because he's 6'5", or 6'6", or whatever you are. But um, <laughs> anyway, it's just there are so many things that go into the thinking when you're guiding someone who's visually impaired. So 
what's running through my head right now is, wow, that is really scary. How amazing that you build this uh, trust relationship so quickly. And then it must be so rewarding when you see them accomplish something because you helped. So tell me about someone you've worked with that just gave you all those feelings. Yeah, so there's a there's a guy. He's actually a student at UNCC, um, DJ, who I've run with quite a bit. Uh, when I first got involved, that was Paul and Shannon. Sort of, hey, I, we think you'd be a good fit for DJ. And there's so much that goes into that. It's you know by far not a let's pick names out of a hat and see who's going with who. There's a lot behind the scenes that goes into what's going to be a good fit. Um, so DJ and I have spent a lot of time running together. They kind of had a vision or a goal of here's a couple races we want to do, but before we get there, let's go. You know, DJ and I met over on campus at UNCC. We ran around the track some one day. Um, we spent some time running on the greenway behind campus, really trying to feel things out. Again, DJ's got his natural gait and the way he runs and what works for him. And so at that point, uh, let me back up, DJ's a foot shorter than I am. So there's nothing natural about our arm swings, about our strides, about how we run. Mind you, I'm new to guiding at this point, too. So we spend a day running on the greenway, and after about 20, 30 minutes of playing bumper cars, us just bumping into each other's shoulders, I just stopped and said, what is it? This isn't working. And I get it, but you tell me, what am I doing wrong? He said, your arm. Your arm's too high. Drop your arm, hold it still. I drop my arm, I hold it still. We take off, and it's been like butter ever since. You know, it's just so... I say all that to say DJ and I, it took, takes some time and we've, we've built a rapport, built a relationship. He knows, I know what cues work for him. He knows what he's getting from me. Um, I think it was corporate cup last year. We ran the 5k it was our first event together. And, uh, it, it was, it was really cool. And so and he had a great race. It's my first time with a pair of guys, you know, very overwhelming. Everything that I had reached out looking for, it filled, fulfilled that and then some. But DJ, I don't remember if he won his age group, placed in his age group. He, he got a, he got an award. It was yeah. an age group award. Um, and it was a pint glass. And the reason I know that is because it's sitting on my counter. You're not allowed to drink out of it. But DJ told me on the way home that he wanted me to have that. That uh, he, you know, thanked me. It was his fastest 5K. You know, he just, it was, I think he was really sort of just getting into running. He, DJ's a Paralympic level cyclist. Um, he's an amazing athlete who had spent most of his time on the bike but wanted to do some running. So that day it really hit me of, wow, here's – it got a little dusty in the car. I think a right. pollen sure kicked up. It was. It was, it was <laughs> yeah. awful. Um, for him to give me that and say, hey, I want you to have this. You know, thank you for, for today and thank you for what you've done. And then I was like, man, you know what? That's what this is all about. This is what I was searching for when I was – laid up with that injury, trying to find a way to give back. And, you know, it just logistically it works out. That's a big piece of this. Um, and Shannon can talk more to this, but one of the big issues with uh, that arises in guiding or working with visually impaired athletes is transportation. You know, DJ happens to be five minutes down the road from me, so it's easier for us to get together, uh, pick him up, head to races, do, you know, get together and run. But uh, that's been really cool. I've had the opportunity to work with some other athletes too, but 99% of what I've done has been with DJ, and it's been a blast. So it sounds like you're a matchmaker. That's that's, <laughs> a, that's about what it amounts to. Um, and that's really what my role is. You know, I guide too, but my real role is to identify who are who needs a guide, who, who needs, um, you know, help getting out there, and then 
going and finding out who might be a good fit, who who geographically might be a good fit, who size-wise might be a good fit, um, gender. Sometimes it's better to match females with females, sometimes not. You know, it just depends. But um, it's my role to identify who those people are and um, make sure that each visually impaired athlete has options because maybe DJ wants to run tomorrow, but Gray can't. He has to work. So it's my job to make sure that he has five or six resources that he can call on um, that might be able to come run with him on any given day. And the neatest thing is that we work with people of all different abilities. You know, Gray's a fast runner and DJ is a fast runner. We also work with folks who are walking 5Ks. Um, we work with veterans. So a lot of those folks may be not, you know, running super fast, but they, they want to just get out and walk. And I think that is so impactful. Just if you think about what it feels like to just um, go outside and feel the sun on your face and go for a walk, which for you or I, you and I can do that at our, at our pleasure, at our leisure. Um, but for some of our folks, you know, just getting out of their apartment is a huge treat and a huge, um, you know, an undertaking. And so I, I think it's, it's, it's my job to make sure that resources are available and options. So you identified this need. You're seeing it now happen. I mean, 40 people, that's a lot of people to help and match and all of that. What has surprised you in this work? I guess, um, I guess the positive feedback that we've gotten, which is, is fantastic. I think um, word of mouth is kind of a big thing for us. And some of the visually impaired folks that we work with, the visually impaired community is very tight-knit. And um, just that they have recommended our services to their friends. I, I have a new, a new athlete that, that we're going to have at our next 5K who I've not even met yet, but I've already started the conversation with him. You know, tell me about how tall you are and where do you live and about how fast do you run or how fast do you walk and, you know, just kind of getting to know people and then figuring out what they need and then sort of help, you know, like you said, match, make, make it happen. Wow. Now, this isn't a f your full-time gig, I'm guessing, right? I mean, you work, and because th this is a completely nonprofit. Correct. This is a nonprofit, and we, um, we don't have any staff. We don't have any employees. We're all volunteers. Gray's a volunteer. I'm a volunteer. Charlotte is the most wonderful place because we have just more volunteers than you can possibly imagine that have reached out to us and that we've reached out to over the past to almost three years, people that want to get involved and not just the running community and the cycling community and the triathlon community, but people that just want to give back. And I think that's really what people in Charlotte are about is, you know, whether whatever population it is for me, it's, it's this, but how can you give back? And I know for you, it's, it's doing all the things that you do in your community and, and doing this podcast, that's your way of giving back. And, right. and this is part of my way of giving back. Well, and I'm just curious because your background is teaching and then lending. And so how did that prepare you to do this or did it? I think absolutely yes. I think any life experiences help you, you know, kind of build to, to the next level. But 
I think, thankfully, I have a, a background in banking and in finance because I'm our accountant. And <laughs> thankfully, I was a teacher. And so I do a lot of what I call, you know, herding. And so we're at these events and we've got 25 folks and however many are visually impaired and however many are guides. And it's my job to communicate with everybody and make sure everybody has a ride and make sure that everybody has a guide or two or three, make sure everybody has a t-shirt, make sure, you know, just all the little things. Being a mom has helped me do these things. Because it's managing people and helping people, and um, I, I don't know. It, I think it's running your gifts from everything else exactly, and, and channeling them through this right now. And I think when you when you run a nonprofit, it kind of takes you got to be a jack of all trades. You know, you have to do a little bit of everything. So we're gonna when we come back, we're gonna talk a little bit more about how other people may be a paraguide, but there's other things too. This is Pamela Escobar. You're listening to Do Good Charlotte. After the break, you'll hear about all these upcoming runs, walks, and other athletic events where you can volunteer with the Paraguide Foundation. How many servings of fruits and vegetables should you be eating? This is a 60-second wellness tip powered by Ortho Carolina. The magic number is five. Three servings of vegetables and two servings of fruits have been connected to lower risk of certain cancers, stroke, and heart disease. Fruits and vegetables are a great source of essential vitamins and minerals in addition to plenty of fiber to maintain a healthy gut and reduce the risk of colon cancer. And they're high in vitamin C and potassium. If five servings seems like a lot, consider starting your daily vegetables with your first meal of the day. Snack on fruits and vegetables instead of whatever your current go-to snacks are. Use vegetables as the main ingredients in other dishes like baked goods and chili. And whenever you can, get fresh vegetables, especially in the summer when they are in season. This has been your 60-second wellness tip powered by Ortho Carolina, official team physicians of the Carolina Panthers and proud sponsor of the Queen City Podcast Network. For more tips or to make an appointment, visit orthocarolina.com. Shannon, how do people get involved if they want to get involved with you? So the easiest way is to go to our website, which is um, paraguide.org, and there's a, an intake form where they can put their information in um, to be a volunteer. And all of, those, all of that comes directly to me, and I, I, I sift through it, and then I write an email back so that we can kind of start the conversation. And usually that's over email. Sometimes we arrange a time to talk on the phone just to talk about, you know, wants and needs and logistics and that kind of thing. So that's a really easy way to do it. Some people reach out directly and just email me. My email address is out there um, on our website as well. It's just Shannon at paraguide.org. And Gray, when you did the process, it was pretty simple. That's exactly what you did. You Absolutely. Very simple. Found the website. Um, I went through the form. Shannon reached back out and that started the conversation. We you know, kind of went back and forth probably over a month or so of trying to figure out Again, what worked as I'd give her some info, she'd go back and work behind the scenes to see where that could be best used, plugged in, um, where I was needed and if I was needed. Uh, and then she'd circle back with me and there we landed. Yeah, landed and had a great match with DJ. So um, I thought what was really cool about your website too was, and, and full disclosure, I'm not an athlete. I might help out with walking. That's, <laughs> I think I can handle that. But um, there's corporate team building. So it sounds like you take the class that you give your paraguides 
And you go to corporations and help them learn how to work together? Yes. And so that is something that's super fun that we do. Basically, just what you said, we do like we do a guide clinic whenever we have volunteers that we get together, like where I met Gray. Um, we have a guide clinic, but we've done it for Bank of America. We've done it for a company called TCC Gives, which is um, part of Verizon. Um, and we just do it. So the, the biggest part of guiding is communication. And so if you think about at work and, and that kind of thing, teams need to have good communication skills. You would hope. Right. And what better <laughs> way to kind of foster that and sort of, you know, force that in a fun way is to do it as team building. And it's so funny to, to kind of watch a team go through that experience and kind of come out of maybe their regular work and, you know, what, what you would normally be doing at work and sort of bond over, over being blindfolded and, and trusting each other. Right, because like you said, Gray, you, you become vulnerable. I mean, all of a sudden, this big, huge guy is holding on to a 5'2 woman for dear life because you can't see anything, you can't do anything. So you're going to be forced to talk to each other, forced to communicate. You that. have no choice. <laughs> right. You have no choice, one, to communicate, and two, to trust. Right, which is so critical with communication. So do, is, is that a one way that you raise money? Or? It is. And, okay. And um, so like... We were we had been talking. So Paraguide is is a nonprofit. We don't have employees. We don't have staff. We're all volunteers, and we do have to fundraise. And one of the reasons for that is we grant money to athletes, um, both locally and non locally, so that they have resources to purchase a tandem bicycle, which are not cheap, um, to use for race entry fees and to use for transportation. Because as you can imagine, getting anywhere is expensive. Most of our athletes. They don't own cars. They don't drive cars. They either use public transportation or they use something like Uber or Lyft. And while those are pretty good options, imagine Ubering every single place you want to go. That adds up. So part of the grant money that we grant back out um, is often used for transportation for athletes as well. So you identified that need as well. In addition to needing a paraguide, you also need resources to, to achieve those events that you want to achieve. Right. And really, honestly, the transportation piece is the reason that Paul and I formed Paraguide in the first place. Um, we saw that transportation was just a huge issue for a lot of visually impaired folks um, in locally and, and, and in other places. And we wanted to figure out how to kind of bridge that gap. Um, so transportation is really kind of, you know, the guiding is very important too, but, um, you know, guides are volunteers. So that's, it's not easy to come by, but people are so generous that it is, it's easier to come by than you would imagine. But the transportation piece is critical. So you need people to be generous too with their money. So you're, you're saying right now you're, you need a van? Yes. We've been looking to try to buy a van for almost two years. And, you know, it's just one of those things. It, it, it costs more money than you think to both buy or, or, you know, whatever, lease a van and then also pay for insurance and, and registration and whatnot. So, um, like I said, we, we have all these tandem bicycles. We store a bunch for athletes because um, they're so large and they don't always fit in folks' apartments and whatnot. So we have a very generous storage unit that Morningstar Storage provided us with to store the tandem bicycles in that we store for people. And then we have a few that we've put together as well um, that were part partially donated. Um, but a tandem bicycle will not fit in my Ford Explorer and a person. So I couldn't fit an athlete and me and the tandem bicycle all in my car um, I would need something else to help either transport the person or the bike. So how big of a van are you talking about? 
it would be nice to have something like, um, just like any of the white vans that you see driving around town. Like it's probably, I guess, a, a 12 or 15 passenger van. And you, you generally take most of the seats out so that you can load the equipment in and then have like a bench seat for people. So right now you're trying to figure that out. You, you end up, I guess, having more than one car. And so one has the bike, the other person has the person. It just takes more people versus what you could do if you had that one van. Exactly. Um, it's, you know, if you think about logistically multiple people and then multiple vehicles, it's just kind of, it's kind of cumbersome time-wise and geographically to, to pull all of that together just to go on a bike ride. Um, it's, it's, it's time consuming. It's, it's, I, I'm not sure if I'm using the right word, but it's just kind of cumbersome to, to make going on a bike ride that might, you know, the bike ride itself may last an hour or two hours, but just the logistics behind it when you don't have the equipment is, is time consuming. Well, I hope that this helps with that. And just talk about how many events that you have gone through, because like you're saying, just a bike ride, but all these different practices and things that you're doing to lead up to big events. I mean, people are triathletes as well. You have swimmers. I, someone's tethered being swimming. I, it sounds amazing to me. <laughs> yeah, I was just kind of, you know, contemplating on our last year and the wonderful things that we were able to participate in last year. Um, we had everything from an athlete who participated in a swim meet, so just swimming, nothing else, which is huge, um, back in January of last year. And then I think we had 30 events that we participated in, and that's everything from a half Ironman to 5Ks. Um, there was an event at the Speedway called uh, Gibbs Cycles that Gray participated in. We had four tandems out there and four pilots and four stokers. That's what the person on the back is called, the stoker. Okay. The person on the front is called the pilot or the captain. So we had all those bikes out there. For that event, um, we had some athletes participate in the MS-150 last year. So we kind of have run the gamut of, you know, different types of events, you know, everything from 5Ks to half Ironmans. And I guess I want to add, too, I'm sitting here thinking as a volunteer, oh, gosh, I'm not much of an athlete. What about people who um, who need assistance? They don't have to be athletes either, right? I mean, maybe some of these people start out thinking they just want to walk, right? And But maybe it turns into that they're running a 5K because they never thought it was a possibility. Yes. And so we've had some some folks who originally just just wanted to come out and walk or who said, you know, I can't really run anymore, who are now setting PR, which is personal record, after PR, after PR at subsequent 5Ks. It's incredible to see progress over time. I think that's great. I don't think that's critical, though. I think just getting outside and being part of a group, you know, that's kind of one of our, one of our values is just kind of having sort of a team, you know, all for one, we're supporting everyone from the fastest runners to the, to the walkers and just kind of an inclusion feeling among our team and supporting each other. Right. So it's all about community. It's all about access. I love it. Is there anything else that you wanted to share that we didn't cover? Cause I'm, I'm sitting here now. Do you ride bikes too? I cycle some okay. um, as far as the bulk of my guiding is all riding. I think I've ridden in one event at the Speedway, um, but me personally, I'm, I'm a runner. Okay, but you've also assisted with riding as well. So, I have. So you can also discover skills that maybe you didn't know that you had through this as well. It, it's a blast. Um, again, that's a whole other set of training. Uh, piloting somebody on a tandem is a whole new ball of wax um, to do that safely. 
but to go through that and to be able to do that is is a blast to be able to go for a ride with someone and you know to hear them say hey it's the first time i've felt the wind in my face and you know x number of years or uh you know it's the first time i've ridden a bike in 20 years again all of us athlete or no athlete anybody can go jump on a bike and go for a ride around the block and have a blast doesn't take a whole lot for a sighted individual to be able to do that you need a bike that's about it um you think about someone with without vision to be able to do that and how freeing that is um, wow pretty neat well, I was going to say, I was reading on your website, there was a person who was talking about that, that they were riding at their gym on a, on a stationary bike and just yes. so frustrated. And yes. so then you open up this whole world to them and they're riding at the speedway on a tandem bike. So that is Jamie. And I, dear Jamie, I love her so much. She is that person you were talking about. And not only is she riding a tandem bicycle weekly, but in a month, she's going to fly to Colorado with her guide dog, and she's going to participate in a cycling camp for visually impaired. And it's a big deal. It's a huge deal um, that she's going to get to go and do this. And they ride road bikes. They ride track bikes, which track bikes don't have brakes. And oh just she's doing this incredible thing. And she is just, it, she, I can't even put words around how, amazing Jamie is to go do this. She lives on her own in an apartment kind of over near UNCC with her guide dog. She works full time and she's a cyclist. It's just, it's incredible. Well, it's incredible that you were able to help her get to this point too. So that's amazing. Thank you so much. If you know someone like Shannon or Gray, who's doing good in our community, please let me know. Reach out to me, Pamela Escobar on social media. I'm reporter Pam on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, or go to the Queen City Podcast Network page and fill out the contact form for Do Good Charlotte. There's good all around us. Let's hear about it. I'm Pamela Escobar. Thanks for listening to Do Good Charlotte on the Queen City Podcast Network, powered by Ortho Carolina. Do Good Charlotte is recorded at the Queen City Podcast Network studio at Advent Coworking in Uptown Charlotte. Producers are Brian Baltosvitz and Pamela Escobar.